Warning, this show may contain adult content, language, and humor, and is intended for mature audiences. If that's not you, please stop listening now. Nothing you hear on Sex and Science Hour is intended as medical advice, financial advice, legal advice, therapy, or really anything other than entertainment. Please take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Oh, and if you're hearing us on an affiliate network, the ideas and views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the network you're listening on or of any sponsors or affiliate products you might hear about on the show. Now that all that's out of the way, let's start the show. This is Sex and Science Hour with Brian Sovereign and Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Get your freak on. Hey, welcome to Sex and Science Hour. Guess what? I am on vacation of a fucking lifetime right now, and I'm having a great time relaxing in the sun with someone very special. She's actually right next to me. You know, you're not going to get any Brian tonight, but... Um, Get over it. Don't complain too hard because you're going to get somebody else who's pretty freaking awesome. And it's MK Lords. She's our producer, but she's actually sitting next to me right now because I'm visiting her. Howdy. <laughs> Hi, MK. Thanks for being on the show. So I'm visiting you. Uh, we are just having a ball. Um, had a little vacation for both of us. We've been um, going around uh, Tampa, Florida and doing like all kinds of stuff. We went to an art museum, Salvador Dali and Frida Kahlo exhibit, which was really cool. We went to a bunch of gluten-free restaurants and you found one that was, it was kind of rep- reminiscent of the doggo memes. It was called Bamboozled. And it was yes. <laughs> we so we had to go there because it sounded like heckin' bamboozled. <laughs> oh my goodness! So I so we love these doggo memes, and I was trying to find a good gluten free restaurant. I came across this Thai place in downtown Tampa, and it's called Bamboozle. And I was like, okay, I'm sold just basically by the name. Yeah, I have me to too. Check it out. <laughs> and it was this wonderful Thai place. So yeah, it was we were there. Good. Give a little little bit of a shout out to them, I guess. <laughs> but, yeah. but yeah, we've done a lot of cool things on this trip, yoga and, um, you know, now we're doing, now we're on the podcasting part. <laughs> Woo! I'm super excited because this is my favorite podcast and I listen all the time and I also sometimes submit stories because I like to hear you and Brian discuss things, so. You submit great show prep and you actually have been elevated to a producer status. You've received a promotion, so. Yes, I feel so special. Put that on my link. <laughs> LinkedIn. That's right. Put it on your LinkedIn. Yeah, MK is on the cover art sometimes. So, so just a little quick introduction before we get into our very important show prep. Oh, you know, one thing I didn't mention that I uh, feel like we should mention because it was one of the highlights of this trip so far. We went to a gay kava bar. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's called Mad Hatters. And I actually went there for New Year's Eve initially because I've been checking out kava bars and there's a few in St. Petersburg, which isn't too far from here. So what is a kava bar for people who don't know? So kava kava is basically a type of herb that promotes relaxation and kind of helps with anxiety, can kind of help you sleep. And 
it's so it's an ethnobotanical tea bar and they offer kava kava but also kratom also other types of teas uh some promote mental clarity some kind of lift your mood uh some kind of relax you more and you know kind of calm your anxiety and i found kratom especially to be helpful for my anxiety which i have pretty bad anxiety sometimes and kava kava too my sister-in-law actually turned me on to these uh herbs and they're totally legal and these are cool places because they're open this one's open 24 hours and it's a nice place to go hang out but it doesn't have that kind of loud uh sometimes obnoxious bar scene and a yeah. bunch of chill people yep i found it that way too it's like a party atmosphere they've got you know couches they had games we went out sat outside and played chess which was really cool and like hula-hooped. that was we hula hooped yeah we did a beanbag toss yes <laughs> we had a couple of drinks and, and you know but there's no alcohol so everybody's really chill nobody gets in fights or is aggressive or anything like that so it was a really cool place to go i wish there were more of them around but we're working on it and i said it was a gay kava bar because i guess it's i guess it's gay owned they've got like rainbow flags it's not like exclu- it's not like a gay bar like everybody's gay when you go there but it's yeah. it's um it's definitely gay friendly so cool place I'm definitely going back there yeah one of the the woman uh who was one of the kava kava tenders or the the (laughs) I call it the kava tenders she kind of explained the history of it and it was a regular bar to begin with but the owners quit drinking but they still wanted a place where people could go hang out super late into the evening but provide a party atmosphere that was also safe so they started you know finding different teas that kind of had these Uh, similar I mean it's not the same as being drunk or anything like that but it is very relaxing and it does kind of give you a little bit of a boost uh, and they have different recommendations looking for you know based on what you're looking for and it's really helpful for addicts too Um, actually I I do know a couple people who've used kava kava or kratom to wean off alcohol or opiate addiction to like very Florida has a terrible opiate opiate problem yeah and uh it's kratom is very good for weaning people off of that and it doesn't have types of very bad health effects or side effects or things like that mm-hmm. yeah absolutely i mean new hampshire should have more of these because new hampshire has bad opioid problems too and yeah overall just a really cool place we also saw speaking of opioid problems we saw a comedy show and there was a heckler <laughs> in the audience that may have had some of those <laughs> Oh my goodness. <laughs> Stephanie got the full Florida person experience. So I don't know if listeners are familiar with the Florida man and Florida women. It's it's basically a meme at this point and it makes it's fun of headlines meme, yeah. like Florida man does you know, something crazy and Some crazy crime, like rip someone's face off or so, or something like that. Right, right. And actually, everything you hear about Florida is true. It's filled <laughs> with the craziest people. And we came across two of these crazy people. They were heckling the comedians at this club. And normally, hecklers are the worst, but they were actually kind of hilarious. But they were total walking stereotypes. They were getting Florida. heckled back by the comedians, They, they were too. getting heckled back. <laughs> It was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, so we saw a Florida woman and Florida man in their native habitat. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
All right. Well, speaking of native habitats, I think it's time to start our show prep for tonight. And uh, we got a very interesting uh, email from, we're still going to do kind of normal show prep tonight, but MK is going to be here to comment. So we like that. But uh, we got an email from Cognitive Dissident, right? What else is new? Every every week we get emails from Cognitive Dissident and, and they're great. So we're just going to go with it. Um, corn, here's the headline, corn turning French hamsters into deranged cannibals. From fizz.org. A diet of corn is turning wild hamsters in northeastern France into deranged cannibals that devour their offspring, alarmed researchers have reported. There's clearly an imbalance, said Gerard Bogmau, president of the Research Center for Environmental Protection in Alsace, an expert in the European hamster. Our hamster habitat is collapsing. More common farther to the east... Cresitus, Cresitus, oh, that's like the Latin name of the hamster, in critically endang- are critically endangered in Western Europe. The findings reported last week in the journal Proceedings of the Royal Society of London trigger industrial-scale monoculture as the culprit. Once nourished by a variety of grains, roots, and insects, the burrowing rodents live today in a semi-sterile and unbroken ocean of industrially grown maize or corn. The monotonous, the monotonous diet is leaving the animals starving, scientists discovered almost by accident. The problem is a lack of vitamins, or one in particular, B3 or niacin. Uh... And then the, the subheader, baby hamsters eaten alive. Oh, shit. Oh, no. <laughs> no, not the baby so hamsters. Sad. Earlier work had looked at the impact of pesticides and mechanized plowing on hamsters, which can destroy their underground homes, especially during hibernation in winter. But the possible link with what they eat remained unexplored. The first set of lab experiments, and basically, this is kind of long, I'm going to shorten it, but basically what they found was that when the hamsters had babies, the mothers who had an all corn diet ate like most of their babies, like 19 out of 20 babies. They cannibalized them. Gotta get that B3. Somehow, yeah. I mean, if the baby takes it, you gotta take it back or something. <laughs> so they, you know, they were doing this really disturbing behavior, but then when they fed them a more varied diet, they went back to normal and didn't eat most of their babies. I mean, I guess it's normal for them to eat like a few of their babies, but not all of them. I mean, you know, I get a hankering for babies when I have a vitamin deficiency. So. Oh, shit. How often does that happen? You got to take your multi. <laughs> got to take my multi. <laughs> my one a day. <laughs> Women's multi. Um, but you kind of see a lot of weird psychological problems that come up. I mean, mice are obvious or hamsters are obviously different from humans. But if you do get certain B vitamin deficiencies, that can cause a bunch of problems. I was vegan for a while. And a huge problem with a vegan diet is getting those B vitamins like B3 yeah. um, and B 12 that's a major one and I was supplementing b12 but I did find that um, I was having more problems with depression and anxiety and motivation and things like that and even though I was supplementing I don't think I was getting all the nutrients I needed from animal products basically there are some things that animal products have that you just need um you can't always way easier to get if you eat animal products yeah in the percentages that you need them in basically uh there's only so far a plant-based diet can go without being very careful to supplement i think there are strong ethical arguments for a plant-based diet but for me personally it didn't work out and that's true with a few other people i knew and as soon as i started adding back in more animal-based products, I started feeling a lot better. I had more mental clarity and more energy. I was able to work out more. And I just felt 
overall better. Yeah. I had a really similar experience. I was vegetarian for a while and it was like the most depressed time of my life. And Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, you could say it's circumstances, but it was also, it wasn't just the circumstances. Like I've had similar life circumstances at other times and totally able to handle them with meat and like adequate nutrition. So here are some of the symptoms. Vitamin B3 deficiency causes black tongue syndrome in dogs and a condition in humans called pellagra known as the 3D disease because it causes diarrhea, dementia, and dermatitis such as eczema. So yeah, those hamsters were bad news. I mean, I'm just going to say it. I have a few friends who are vegan or vegetarian and they also, I see them post on social media about being depressed or whatever. And I want to say so bad, girl, eat some meat. Like you really cheese even. Something. Yeah. Eggs, I think Fish. you can find, uh, I think eggs are a very ethical Sea bugs. Yeah. Sea bugs. Yeah. yeah or insects. Insects yeah. even. I think there are different ways to get around that. And maybe vegetarianism does work for some people. I don't want to knock it and say it doesn't work for everyone just because it didn't work for me. There are some people who can be very healthy and I think there's something to be said for different body types. Right on. Okay, we're in the break now, MK, so... We got to promote something. Should we promote your podcast? Because you also have your own podcast. So yes, I do have my own podcast. I just started this up last month. It's called Iconosass, and you can find it on SoundCloud. Iconosass. I love that name. Thank you. Because you are the sassy bun. Oh, yes, yes. (laughs) As in sassy bunny. Sassy bunny. Yes. So how did did the sassy bun thing cover? I'm trying to remember. Because I sent you a sticker on a Facebook message, and it was like, that bunny is kind of it was like a bunny sticker and it was a sassy bunny I was like that's you you're like yeah I'm a sassy bun so (laughs) So where can people find it uh so I'm on SoundCloud so just look for Iconosass on SoundCloud and I do also always love to find weird send me the weirdest stuff you can find at uh, Iconosass at (laughs) gmail.com welcome back to sex and science hour just gonna you know keeping it loose talk through the break I was giving MK a little tutorial on how I do the podcast, like how I technically pull it off recording the podcast, and now now we're actually doing it, because she's like, how do you get that music to play, and then like, you know, it comes up perfectly, and it's like, well, usually it's not perfect, usually it sounds a little bit off, but it's an easier way to do a podcast, to play the music in the background instead of editing it in later, because I don't know, it, I guess it just flows better, and it keeps you to a schedule, it keeps you to a strict schedule. Yeah, because I mean, I would just talk about yonis all day. Oh, (laughs) oh, well, who wouldn't? I mean, it's a great topic. And we are going to be recording an episode of Iconosass where there will be yoni talk, right? Yes, much yoni talk. Much, much yoni talk. (laughs) And there may even be a business proposition in there, too, a business idea that has something to do with yonis. But uh, (laughs) for now, we got more uh, more Sex and Science Hour show prep. So let's get to it. Oh, um. I had an email that I wanted to talk to you about because we had uh, recently discussed on the show, uh, somebody sent in an an article about a transgender athlete who won a women's, um, it was a trans woman, and she won a women's category of cycling, a, a major cycling race in the United States. And it was the first time that there's been a, like, I guess, openly transgender athlete who has competed in the category that they transitioned to and won. And so it became like kind of headlines and, um, you know, some people were upset about it or they were kind of like, wait, wait a minute, this doesn't sound right. Like, why do they like, 
there's something wrong with this picture. If a transgender athlete who is born a male and then becomes a woman gets to compete in a woman's category, um, <laughs> MK is making a little motion to show what she thinks about this. Well, I'm not saying I agree with it, but this, this is what some people think, right? This is some people are freaked out because they think they, they basically fundamentally think that trans women are not women. Right. And they, and they believe that it's unfair because it's something that's different from a quote real woman, which would be a cisgender woman, um, you know, competing in a sport. And so the, the discussion was, was pretty interesting. We got, we had a long discussion about it and I basically sort of got closer to the conclusion that I think maybe there shouldn't be category like sex-based categories in sports to begin with, like just let everybody compete. Right. Um, at least for, for some sports that would make it, that would be amenable to it. Um, and we actually got an email from a trans woman that wanted to weigh in on that. So I thought I'd love to hear what she has to say because, you know, it's kind of awkward when it's like a bunch of cisgender people sitting around talking about transgender issues and we don't have anybody who has more direct experience with it. So I'm glad to hear from her. So she she said, um, I just wanted to say as a liberty-minded trans woman that you two are some of the most positive forward-thinking people in the liberty movement. Your thoughts on trans people in sports were very wise and not reactionary like many of the people in our movement that pretend to care about others. Thank you so much for being so awesome. In the meantime, I'm going to see how I can review your podcast on iTunes, although I might need to make an account. Thanks for doing what you do. So yeah, thank you for your comments. Um, And if you want to give us a review on iTunes, you can look us up, Sex and Science Hour. Uh, We certainly appreciate that, and we will read them on the show uh, as soon as we get around to it. Um, So yeah, I I appreciated her feedback. That was the only feedback we got on that um, particular segment. But MK, you and I had had a sort of a discussion about this before the show even, even came out out and um you had some thoughts about transgender athletes too like in mixed martial arts and and other stuff so tell me about that yeah so first of all i'm glad to hear from a listener of yours that's a trans woman because i really think they probably have the most accurate perspective on yeah, this exactly they, they have the research. most reason to be informed about it you know and yeah they, yeah and from the small amount of research i've done the idea that trans athletes have any kind of advantage on a physical level is mostly been proven false through studies and through uh, research and, you know, testing compared to cisgendered athletes. They don't necessarily have an advantage. In fact, sometimes they have a disadvantage, and that's why this was a big news story that this uh, trans woman was able to win this race because oftentimes when you go through that kind of hormone therapy, it can cause you to have a disadvantage, and it does change some of the, from what I understand, at least some of the muscle structure and things like that. And yeah. So, so if you're, if you're born, uh, as a male and you're, you're a trans woman and you transition and you start taking estrogen, it can decrease the muscle mass. Is that what you mean? I think, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, I guess my, my limited understanding of it. Um, so yeah. And I think really this does shut off. Like when you start taking hormones, it shuts off the production of natural hormones. Mm-hmm. So it would shut off like testosterone production pretty much if you start to take estrogen. And and yeah, that's true. Like, that's a great point. I mean, when a cisgender athlete wins, nobody sa- cries like, oh, they must have had an unfair advantage. But when a trans athlete wins, it's always the first thing that people say because they don't understand. Yeah, they don't understand. It comes from a huge misunderstanding of the most up-to-date research on it. And also a kind of paternalistic idea because you mostly see this type of, I call it concern trolling, from trans women in 
you know, female sports. When a trans woman competes in a female category of a, a sport, right? Right. And I find it really paternalistic because no one's asking these other cisgendered athletes if they care. And the thing is, they don't care, like, who they're competing against. I mean, they're mostly open to it. I, I think a lot of people bring up Fallon Fox, who's an MMA fighter, as is. And I've gotten into... A trans woman who is an MMA fighter? Yes. Okay. Yes. And she's a very controversial figure in the MMA world. There are some other fighters who refuse to fight her. And there are a lot of men who have opinions on her too, which oh, yeah. I find pretty much useless because as far as I'm concerned, if women want to compete against each other, that's their decision. They can compete against who they want to. And several of them have competed against Fallon. And uh, she hasn't won every fight she's fought either. Right, right. So, I mean, she she is a very good athlete, a very good fighter, but she hasn't won every fight. It doesn't seem like she has an unfair advantage. And So, I have a question about that. Like, if... I know with, with wrestling, wrestling is fake, right? I mean, let's be honest. Sorry, Brian, but wrestling is fake. <laughs> Brian would would admit that. But um, <laughs> wrestling like WWF and stuff is, is prearranged. Um, but with MMA and boxing and uh, so, sort of those combat sports, do you... Like, do you get pressured by your your agent or your booking person to fight certain people, even if you may not want to fight them? Or do you have to, like, really agree? Like, is there a meeting that happens? Because in the movies, that's how it goes, right? Like, when Rocky's going to fight somebody, there's, like, kind of a meeting between the two agents, and they talk shit to each other a little bit. and, and But they agree to fight. And but it's all but it is all, like, pretty much prearranged. Do you know anything about how the fights are arranged in MMA? I I don't actually. Um, I would think that the fighter has a lot of say in who they'd like to fight against because, for instance, there are fighters who have been pretty vocal about saying they refuse to fight her. Oh, okay. So if people are refusing, then that means that they do have a choice. Okay, cool. Right. So there are people who who are refusing to fight her, and there are others who have gladly done it. Ronda Rousey didn't want to fight Fallon Fox? Right. Okay. Did she say it was because Fallon Fox is a trans woman? Uh, yeah, she she was not uh, not very supportive of that. But I do also think I I want to say they're also in different weight divisions too. Yeah, and I think it was more of like a oh well, even if we were in the same division, I I wouldn't want to fight her, and I don't think she should be allowed to fight women. And I think women can. I mean, first of all, these dudes commenting on who female MMA fighters can fight should have no say in it because. Any of they're not female, fighting, they're right? They're not fighting. Any of these female MMA fighters are going to run circles around these guys. And ultimately, <laughs> it's up to them who they want to fight. And same with other athletes. It's up to them who they want to compete against. And more people are getting educated about this topic. And I think that's great. I think in a few more years, you're not going to hear this argument as much as the science kind of comes out and shows you know, trans women are women and they can, and other women can choose who they're competing against. And it's really not even that big of a deal. I, I think it's really going to be in the dustbin of history, this whole concern about, oh, these, uh, as if women are fragile, right? As if as it's if- like, oh, women can't, you know, compete against. And another thing, probably what art, what bothers me even more is the idea that, oh, well, what about these men who are going to pretend to be women to get an unfair advantage? I was just about to bring that up. It comes from the same place as the concern about the bathrooms, right? That men are going to pretend to be women just so they can go in the bathroom or the locker room, right? It's insane, right? Yeah, it's no, it's literally not that. a thing that ever happens. And 
okay, if you're worried about women being sexually assaulted in bathrooms, that already is illegal. <laughs> it's already, and it's already not a thing that actually happens to mm-hmm. people who want to go in bathrooms are going in there for typically one per- purpose. That's to take a piss. I mean, no one's like going into a bathroom with. Well, I don't know. What about the foot motives. tappers? What about the butt sex guys? The okay, yeah. maybe butt sex. <laughs> tapping their foot and tapping their brake lights at the rest stops and everything. <laughs> yeah, I. I mean, I agree. The more likely thing is that a a trans woman who is dressed as a woman but goes into the men's bathroom is going to get beat up. Right. By other men. They fa- yeah, they face more danger um, being forced to go into a bathroom that with a gender they don't identify Yeah, exactly. So trans women are women. That's really the whole defining thing about, like, we could get into in a minute. We're coming up here on Sex and Science Hour. All right, we're in the break again. So this time I got to promote stuff about Sex and Science Hour. So we are in season three and we're actually getting like over the halfway mark. We're over the hump of uh, season three of Sex and Science Hour. This will be episode 17. And uh, we actually have two whole other seasons of Sex and Science Hour, season one and season two. They're available on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash Hour, or on our website, which is sexandsciencehour.com. And if you like those, well, hey, like we said, before leave us a review on itunes we certainly appreciate that or you could share the show with your friends that's how people find out about it because you know secret time we're a little bit lazy about promoting the show we don't we don't like aggressively promote our show and say "Ooh, you have to listen to this controversial episode i aggressively promote your show oh thank you see we have other people we have deputized people to do it for us so So thank you. Was that an endorsement from Iconosast to Sex and Absolutely. Iconosast completely endorses Sex and Science Hour. Oh, what more do you say? <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> this is Sex and Science Hour. We are now in the second three. Wow, this show is going fast. But that's okay. It's fast and furious. So, MK, we got three uh, three little articles to do in this last segment. You think we can do it? I I'm confident. so. Absolutely. I'm confident. <laughs> Yeah, I'm confident too. So, okay, first one comes from another email from Cognitive, none other than Cognitive Dissident. We were speculating on who Cognitive Dissident might be, and uh, we, we had some couple ideas. Should, should we say who it is, we think it is? or Kind of like the mystery. Okay, we'll leave it as a I mystery. I think we should ask the person if we see them. Okay, we will ask that person. Keep it private. We don't want to out anybody. Yeah, right. But I love the name. Every time I hear you say it, on it's like we have an email from Cognitive Dissident. I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. (laughs) (laughs) It is a great name. It's a great, great online handle. So, okay, Cognitive Dissident writes in, um, and again, they're they're not very verbose, but uh, they do send us articles. So, so here, I have to scroll back up. This is the joys of live radio. Okay, so we got two articles we're going to do. They're both about robots and reproduction. So the first one is the real goal of sex bots and artificial reproduction is making women obsolete. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> this is from the federalist.com by uh, Libby Emmons. She says, let's face it. No one really needs women. 
I know we're shy. We shy away from admitting this fact, but women are extras, accessories, pretty faces, willing targets, overbearing mothers, nags. From Eve's first bite of that shiny apple to Hillary Clinton's electoral failure, women have been a detriment to society at large. That's why it's so great that the final obsolescence of women is at hand. And now I think she's being sarcastic. What about you? Yeah, she's landing on pretty thick. Yeah. <laughs> Up until recently, women were needed. Without women bearing the brunt of mammalian reproduction and birthing our lives, young the human sorry without women bearing the brunt of mammalian reproduction and birthing our live young the human species would go extinct but we were more than reproducers as a result of our natural attributes we were enjoyable to look at oh god this is this is pretty thick it was in that capacity that we were sought after for the pleasure that we could provide as a receptacle for male vulnerability and sperm (laughs) we were looked upon as mothers and nurturers In reproduction and attractiveness, women knew that their contribution to society might be valued. We knew that society at large would need our bodies as mothers and whores. Heretofore, we were relevant, at least in our limited physical capacity of what our subservient bodies could provide. But no more. Ladies, step off. Contemporary (laughs) society has dispatched us with no undue haste. Sex robots are here with all the friend benefits a man could dream of. Artificial wombs are nearly ready for manufacture. Discarded embryos and aborted fetal tissue are primed for cloning and implantation, eliminating the need for our mitochondria. Men have proclaimed themselves to be 100% up to snuff in the mother department. No more are mothers themselves deemed a necessary part of child development, not when men have become so in touch with their maternal side. Cover girl has a cover boy, and beauty has never been more femme male. I gotta say, I love that cover girl cover. I've never, what is she talking about? Tell me about that. So this is kind of groundbreaking. Cover girl had a, um, a young male model on there as a, as their cover girl. And his makeup was so on point. He was beautiful. Wow. This is some groundbreaking. That's really interesting. Everyone should look it up. Just this beautiful model. And, um, and maybe I, I, I want to say maybe he identified as non-binary right, or something. Okay. Um, I may not be completely accurate with that, so maybe a listener will correct me. But yeah, it was great. So very groundbreaking for CoverGirl. Cool. Okay, I got to look that up. Um, that's very interesting. Trans women, she says, are way prettier, leggier, than, and in shape than the average bio girl, and with less uterine fuss. All of these marvelous advances in femme engineering can only mean one thing. It's time to admit that the planned obsolescence of the female on Earth is nearly complete. Sex bots can't say no. When these rechargeable honeys hit the mass market, women should breathe a sigh of relief. Rapists, purveyors of rape culture, and those guys who feel it's their right to take a little grab will now have a new outlet for their penile aggression. These, God, these sex robots can't say no. A sex robot is really the best way to go for a carefree screw. This option, while not as cheap as your average prostitute, provides an amazing opportunity to stick your penis into something that will provide no mess, no emotional problems, and won't take up any of your precious bureau space, ask for keys, or want to meet your mother. Once the sex robot is out of the package and in the bed or on the couch or the kitchen table or the closet, she will never say no, unless you're into that sort of thing. She'll do anal without making you buy her a lobster dinner first. She'll do double vaginal with you and a cucumber if you want her to. Oh, man. This is this is a little bit longer. But basically, she's writing this... Here's Here's my take on it. It sounds to me like she's writing a very sarcastic article saying... Um, the people who are cheering on sex bots 
and the potential for artificial wombs are misogynists who want to get rid of women. What do you think? Is Do you think I'm right about that? Is that I, I think that's kind of accurate. It's obvious she's very sarcastic and is kind of playing up this idea that oh, men men want sex robots because they want to replace women, which I don't really see sex robots replacing real human relationships. They will at some point, maybe for some people, but I think it's very hard to simulate that kind of warmth and empathy that you can have from a relationship with a human being. So I, yeah. I, I'm really like, I think a lot of I agree with you on that. Controlling. I, I'm not very worried about being replaced by a robot. And I mean, I think this is great because, uh, yeah, for the people who do have a bunch of opinions on what women should look like and dress like and be like, they can just create the robot and great self-eliminate like we don't want to deal with you anyway (laughs) yeah sure and and also like I mean I could see a feminist even getting kind of offended at this because first of all it's kind of it kind of smacks of this like earth mother stuff like you're only a woman if you have a uterus and you can make a baby right and not not every woman woman can have babies and maybe if there were technology that would allow for a artificial um human like an artificial basically womb to grow babies in some women would love that you oh, know absolutely. they would be relieved of the burden of having to do it themselves or if they can't do it they would get, gain the capacity to make a baby so i mean it could be a great thing for women if this technology was developed yeah and it solves problems that you see in surrogacy too so some people want to have children and so they get a surrogate uh, womb, you know, it's someone else that they're paying to have their baby, but that kind of comes with some issues. Sometimes the surrogate gets attached to the child, mm-hmm. um, and you're also putting someone else's body through a potentially life-threatening event. Totally, I mean, yeah. Things, the things can always go wrong in pregnancy and birth. Yeah, right, right. And I think there's something to be said that artificial wombs can really open up a lot of opportunities for people, and even, I mean, even alternatives to abortion, mm-hmm. possibly too. I mean, uh, I'm. You talking about Walter Block eviction? Stuff? <laughs> I mean, that's kind of that kind of crossed my mind a little bit. I mean, I'm yeah. completely pro-choice. You know, it's your body, full stop. But some people might be more on the fence about that when, or, you know, they might have health conditions that could cause pregnancy to be life-threatening for them or very painful or whatever. Like you said, there's so many complications and artificial womb could solve a lot of those problems. Absolutely. And, and also like if there are female sex bots, right, that are satisfying these dogs of men that just want to you know, basically masturbate into something that kind of resembles a woman (laughs) and um, may confuse it for something they could have a relationship with, a relationship. Like, why couldn't there be male-bodied sex bots as well? Or why can't, why couldn't, is it only going to be men that are going to want to have sex with sex bots? Maybe a woman would, women would want to have sex with sex bots too. Like, I mean, sex bots already exist. Dildos, vibrators. vibrators yeah, I mean, right. I we've already I... replaced that appendage, you know, that's <laughs> that's typically associated with men, but, you know, girls can have dicks too. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, there already are sex robots, if you think about it. Yeah. So this idea that it's basically an appendage with more robot attached to it that resembles a person i think is kind of it's silly to freak out about there are I think so too. robots and no one's 
<laughs> no one's completely swearing off human relationships for relationships with those devices I don't think maybe some people are and good for them more power to them and again more power to if men are overly particular about the type of woman they want and they want a robot instead you know more power to them less human lives that they're right take themselves to... off the dating market right yeah. so they don't like waste anybody's time right you can't hurt a robot you can't you know mess exactly. up a robot's life with your weird uh with your weird issues yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah so I think these fears are like way overblown and also maybe a little bit like trans exclusionary a little bit I'm getting a little bit of that from it I get a little turfiness from this article me too and and turf is yeah trans exclusionary radical Radical feminist feminist. Mm -hmm. and they basically believe that trans women aren't women and uh what makes you a woman is your is your vagina and your uterus yeah, which and, is yeah. super reductive and Biological sexist. reductionism, yeah, absolutely. And also, um, t- turf and swerf are words that you hear a lot. Yes. Swerf is sex worker exclusionary radical feminist. Those are um, feminists that don't believe that sex work is legitimate and that they, they're they like, you know, crusaders against porn and, and uh, prostitution. Yeah, they basically want to criminalize sex work yes. because they do find it For the women's harmful. own good, because it exploits all women. That's right. And, and this kind of came from a split in second wave feminism where you had pro-sex positive feminism and sex negative feminism. And the sex negative feminists, an example would be Andrea Dworkin, who basically crusaded against pornography they found she found it very exploitative of women and maybe there's an argument to be made that some porn is exploitative of women and maybe some sex work is too but if you actually get to know sex workers and you try to find out more about them some for some people it's very empowering and Mm -hmm. you basically women are individuals you can't sex workers are individuals you know you can't categorize one thing is exploited for everyone. And, and also criminalizing it yes. does not help. Like it, if you care about the well-being of women who are sex workers, criminalizing sex work is the last thing you'd want to do because it creates corruption. It creates incentives for cops to harass the most vulnerable sex workers, like younger ones and homeless ones for free sex and, you know, exchange for not like prosecuting them. It, uh, it, it just it is not a good scene. It doesn't stop sex work to criminalize it. It still goes on. It just drives it more underground and makes it more dangerous. It puts and so, more women in jail. Yep. Puts more women in jail, uh, puts them through the justice system, empowers the state, <laughs> enriches the state. So, um, yeah, definitely not not a good thing. I, I think that's it's kind of fallen out of fashion, but you, you still do see, like, some people who really believe in those ideologies – Right, you do, and thankfully there's more education coming out about this topic too. And one of my favorite bloggers that some of your listeners may know about or may be interested in is Maggie McNeil. So she Mm. runs a website called An Honest Courtesan, and she's a former sex worker, and she provides a very awesome individualist take on it. She has tons of experience, and you know she's shown that criminalizing it is way more harmful to women. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> um, I actually just got a contract to do an audiobook, to narrate an audiobook called Getting Screwed, Sex Workers and the Law. It's by Allison Bass. And um, 
that's going to be coming out. Look for the audiobook in the next couple of months. But basically, she makes the argument that she does extensive interviews with lots of different types of sex workers and shows the case and also looks at history and shows the case of how criminalization of sex work does not help in any way. So um, that's going to be very cool. And I, I have seen the Honest Courtesan website from Maggie McNeil, and I liked it. I remember seeing it. I haven't looked at it in a while, but glad she's still out there. Maggie, if you ever want to come on the show, you'd be welcome to. We'd love to talk to you. That'd be really cool. So, okay. So um, so basically, we've dismissed that author of this sex bot uh, article as, um, you know, I've I'm not really too concerned about what she's concerned about, I don't think. No, I don't see robots replacing women anytime soon. I don't really see robots replacing men either. Yeah. Or I, I don't... No, they're I, not going to replace... They ro- can't replace you. That That's always the fear, right? I just realized when you said that, like, the fear is that robots are going to replace humans in some capacity. It's almost a variation of they're taking our jerbs. I was you know? just about to say that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, they're taking our jobs. No, it's it's not going to happen. There There is no substance for human relationships of any kind and maybe robots can enhance the well-being of some people I, I do think there are cases to be made for that and robots have dramatically increased the lives of everyone in I would say this country and other yeah. developed nations and stuff I mean mm-hmm. it's Robots are great. And, and I'm also not afraid of them ever becoming sentient and t- taking over. Oh, anything. you're not. So okay. I'm, I'm not super afraid of that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, I don't know. I, I, it's not at the top of my list of fears. That's, let's put it that way. I don't think it could never happen, but it, I'm, so I'm not worried, worried about all the damage humans are doing. Yeah. You know, <laughs> humans are feel like a bigger threat than robots to me as well. So, okay, cool. So I got another article that's kind of the flip side of the one that we just talked about. And then we, are, we have a question about sex workers. So we'll get to that in just a moment. So glad we set the stage for both of those. Um, this one is called Pregnancy Without Men. New research Research lets us make babies from skin cells, and this is from futurism.com. Scientists have successfully proven that sex cells can be created by reprogramming any kind of cell, leading to a number of new collection possibilities in the field of fertility. This new possibility involves some common ethical concerns, but it also introduces some new concerns. Uh, Scientists are tackling these issues head on, even in the earliest stages of development, and policy changes are imminent. Fertility breakthrough. Could babies one day be made with skin cells? As far-fetched as this idea seems, it's it's a possibility that scientists are now exploring after they successfully produced healthy mice using a... You got to do it in mice first, right? Before you try it with the people, you got to do it in mice. Just make sure they're not eating their young by feeding them corn, right? (laughs) Like the hamsters did. Um, (laughs) They've successfully produced healthy mice using a process called in vitro gametogenesis, or IVG. This is a revolutionary method involving embryonic stem cells that are reprogrammed to become viable sex cells. In the mouse experiment, so this is huge because just to stop down here, recently, so back in the George, way back in the George W. Bush administration, back in 2000, uh, what was it, 2005 or so? Yep. There was a big controversy about using embryonic stem cells in scientific research. And at the time, what they would do is use cells that came from, uh, 
uh, fertilized embryos that came from IV in vitro fertilization clinics, from fertility clinics. Um, I guess maybe in some cases, I don't think there were, there was ever like aborted fetal tissue that got used for these stem cells. It was, it was fertilized embryos that were never implanted into a woman. So they didn't have a chance of becoming, um, or into a womb. So they didn't have a chance of becoming people. Um, and then they were going to be used for scientific research. If they weren't used for scientific research, they were literally going to be sitting in the freezer forever or thrown in the trash until the freezer died or they, they didn't have room for them anymore. Right. So, um, but people freaked out about it and the, the conservatives were saying, you know, this is, this is like basically the same as abortion and this is terrible and we can't be doing this. And George W. Bush, you know, pandering to them, put a bunch of restrictions on stem cell on use using embryonic stem cells in scientific research. And it totally changed the whole scientific community because suddenly, People were having to totally like readjust their research game plan. And he said, oh, well, you can use the stem cell lines that are already out there, but most of them were contaminated and they were they were getting old and they weren't very good. So basically, I think what that led to, I think the Bush restrictions on stem cell research actually led to the, the faster development of something called, um, oh God, what is it called? It's, uh, it's, it's basically when you take a, a body cell from a person, from an adult, organism and you inject it with some uh, pieces of DNA that make it basically de-differentiate into like a cell that resembles an early embryonic cell so that it then can re-differentiate and go down a different path and become any other type of cell. And I don't know why I'm blanking on the the name of that. It's like somatic cell uh, something. But anyway, um, it's a technique that basically allows you to take any cell, make it into a stem cell, and then turn that stem cell into any other type of mature cell. So then you didn't need embryonic stem cells anymore because you could just do that. Um, oh, induced pluripotent cells. That's what I'm thinking of. It's called induced pluripotent cells. So you induce a cell to become pluripotent, which means it can give rise to any other cell type. Um, now, so you could make any other, any type of body cell really, but you couldn't really make like viable, um, uh, eggs and sperm basically. But now they figured out how to do that, do that and use those viable eggs and sperm in, uh, to make a baby mouse. So the, the theory goes that one day it would be possible to do this with humans. You could take a skin cell, like a cell from your, your arm, your forearm or something, um, make it into a, an induced pluripotent cell, then make that into a gamete, like an egg, and you could basically make a person from that, which is cool, really cool. I think that's awesome, and it does solve some of these kind of ethical issues, too. Uh, let's see, I'm kind of skimming the article now. Oh, we could read a little bit of it. Yeah, I think I, I stopped before we got too far. <laughs> but yeah, I, this was one... Um, I'm going down to the fourth paragraph or so. I find this interesting. Obviously, IVG is revolutionary for the field of fertility medicine. It gives infertile people hope, especially those who are unable to have children because of cancer treatment. Mm. For example, collecting skin cells from patients undergoing chemotherapy means scientists can turn them into healthy eggs or sperm in case they become infertile as a result of treatment, which does happen totally frequently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really cool use for it. Um, the headline says pregnancy without men. So I guess what they're saying is that they could potentially make a sperm cell from a woman's, uh, from a woman's 
cell. Uh, yeah, from a woman's skin cell. And but the the child would be definitely a female mm-hmm. because well, it would be right. It would be have two X chromosomes. Yeah, because <laughs> it wouldn't have a Y chromosome. Because sperm, you know, humans have two sex chromosomes, either XY or XX. And one of those comes from the egg, which is necessarily an X. And the other one comes from the sperm, which is either an X or a Y. If it's a Y, the child will be a male. If it's an X, the child will be a female. And obviously that's an oversimplification because we've talked about how frequently like chromosomal abnormalities happen and intersex and transgender, but that's the basic idea. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think this is kind of interesting. I'm going to go off on a slight tangent and kind of bring this back because I've kind of come across a few other pieces on this about how women have been finding a harder time or they've been having a harder time finding male partners basically because of differences in education you're seeing a rise in higher educated women going into higher paying fields Mm -hmm. and they tend and living in bigger cities and they seem to be having a harder time finding a if they're straight, finding a male companion or, or looking, a if they're looking for a male, yeah, yeah, if they're looking for a male, it's like New York City is the quintessential example of this. Where mm-hmm. there, first of all, there's more women than men, like just numbers that more women than men, and also of the young age group or of the of the age group that's like. I guess, kind of looking to get married, potentially, um, the women have a lot higher education in general than the men do, and they can't find male partners if they're looking. They have a hard time finding male partners. Yes, and some of these women, too, are maybe wanting to start a family as well, or there Mm -hmm. are a lot of women. I I know uh, women, too, in their 30s and stuff who they're single, but they want to have a child, and they don't, maybe you don't want that complication of having to receive or having a a male involved, you know, as a donor for that baby. Maybe the male doesn't want to be involved with a child or any, you know, any reason. Maybe you just want a child on your own and you don't want that complication. Perhaps this is a solution to that kind of issue. People Mm -hmm. who want families are single women, single working women Mm -hmm. who want families uh, or want to give birth. And um, sorry, I kind of lost my train of thought here. Basically, who want to give birth but don't want the complication. Maybe they don't. Or maybe, yeah, maybe women, men, whoever wants to give birth. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because potentially you could make a baby from a same-sex couple. You could make mm-hmm. a baby p- potentially just from yourself, it sounds like. Like, if you made both an egg and a sperm from your own skin cells, you could potentially have a one-parent baby, it sounds like. Right. But the problem with that is that when you don't get the shuffling of the genes, you know, with the two that comes with the two parents, the genetic disorder diseases and stuff are more likely to happen because you're just not getting that shuffling of the cards. And so any weaknesses in your personal genome are amplified because you don't have that backup copy from another person. That. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was going to ask you about that because, yeah, that could be a potential downside. It could. Yeah. But, but I mean, like, it's great to have more reproductive options. I think it's it's awesome that technology is helping us reproduce in new ways with new people. It's helping us, you know, get around like this problem of basically, you know, some people are not ready to have children until they're essentially their bodies get too old or some people can't have children or whatever, or some people are with a same sex mate and they can't reproduce together. 
so I mean, just more options in that area is is awesome. I don't see any kind of problem with it. Yeah, and ethical I, issues. Oh yeah. Oh, and I was just gonna say you're also seeing society and culture change and the idea of what a family looks like yes. is a big part of that. And I think this could play into that. Why does a family have to be a cisgendered male, cisgendered female and 2.5 kids? You know, <laughs> exactly. why, why can't it be a baby made with your own skin cells? How cool is that? That is cool. I, I've always said like, I don't want to have children, but I've always said that it would be tempting if I could kind of clone myself. <laughs> <laughs> So right. myself, put that thing in an artificial womb so I, I don't have to have it physically. Yeah, exactly. When I'm, when I'm like maybe 60 years old and I've like lived my life very fully and like done all... wise, you know, <laughs> way yeah. wiser than I am now. Exactly. Like, you know, financially all set and like I've done all the fun stuff that I want to do and I'm like ready for something different. You know, I couldn't do that now, but with technology, I think I would be able to. Yeah, right, right. So anyway, here's the ethical issues it brings up. It says, perhaps as a testament to the promise of this technique, experts are already looking into IVG's possible consequences. For instance, should the procedure eventually become accessible and inexpensive, we could face the possibility of embryo farming, which, oh shit, (laughs) I didn't think of that, which for some puts a focus on how this method can devalue human life. Perceived advantages, like making it possible for parents to select from a bigger pool of embryos, has also uh, has obvious downsides, like high-tech-enabled eugenics. Combined with advantage, advances in gene editing technology, it raises ethical concerns regarding human enhancement and designer babies. And with IVG theoretically making it possible for a baby to have three or more genetic parents, it raises questions regarding the legal rights and responsibilities of each parent. It's difficult to predict when technology like this will be ready for use in humans, but right now, any efforts to replicate the same results in primates or humans has proved unsuccessful. Oh, well, moot point for now until that works. But the study is steadily moving forward. And as the authors pointed out, with science and medicine hurtling forward at breakneck speed, the rapid transformation of reproductive and regenerative medicine may surprise us. Before the inevitable, society will be well advised to strike and maintain a vigorous public conversation on the ethical challenges of IVG. And I think that's a great great point to make we should be having these discussions there are ethical issues involved and in regards to something like eugenics i think you may always kind of see people trying to tweak reproduction and kind of have these designer babies but i also think that it doesn't work it doesn't work Mm -hmm. human beings are so complex and you can't predict all of the problems and eugenics has been disproven as scientific theory for years and years now there are some people who would argue that but they're wrong and I think even <laughs> they're wrong they're you wrong. heard it first here on sex and science hour folks I mean as much as, as you know as good as technology can get on this I think you still have so much complexity when it comes to reproduction and you just simply can't make something perfect you can't you know as good as the tech can get you can't force it into this little perfect mold that you may want it's going to surprise you you know no matter how much money you have and things like that it's not absolutely now embryo farming i can see the concern for that and i can see the concern for all of these things eugenics embryo farming Mm -hmm. etc and what are the legal rights when a baby has only one parent or more than three parents or something like that but the thing is every technology is a tool and it has a dark side and a good side, you know, and it's going to be, if it can be used for good, it can also be used for evil. It's just what kind of what you do with it. It doesn't mean the technology itself should be prohibited or stifled. It just means that we have to 
kind of discuss it and be careful. So I like what the author said about that. Right. There are risks and benefits to every technology. Exactly. And you have to just weigh those and banning it isn't going to stop other things from being created. Too. No, it's in fact, it's not going to stop people from doing it because they'll just go somewhere in the world where it is legal or they'll do it anyway. You know, it's not banning. It can't stop it. So all you can do is really talk about it. That's it. That's yeah. It. Yeah, exactly. All right, MK in the, in the show, we still got our after show coming up, but in the show, we got one last segment left. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. We got a listener email about, uh, about a sex worker actually. And I tease this, but we're going to pay the tease. So, listener writes in and says, A while back, you were talking about sex workers and wanted to hear from listeners who had experiences. And yes, I did ask for experiences because I was curious. Uh, This one says, I actually have two stories. About a decade ago, a couple years after getting a divorce, I had an experience with a sex worker who was friends with my neighbor. I didn't know she was a sex worker. I just thought she was a little slutty. Oh, God. Until we hooked up and she asked for money. Talk about awkward. (laughs) Anyway, once once I knew what was up, I've used her services a couple of more times. That brings me to yeah, MK's making a face. Uh, what are you making a face at, slutty? I I thought that was a I, little I did bit kind of cringe at slutty, um, yeah. but more so. She asked for money after, like, how yeah. would you, but that wouldn't be a discussion you'd have before. Yeah, that's another thing. I, I know there's a lot to unpack there. Like if I hooked up with someone and they asked me for money, I would be like, um, no, no, yeah. like what? I thought this was something different. Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I guess like you could say that the, the, you know, with, prostitution being illegal and sex work, most forms of sex work being Ill- illegal, I guess like people have to find sex workers have to find ways around it. And so sometimes they'll ask for like, it's called like treating or something hmm. where like a sex worker will have sex with somebody and their client will then like pay their phone bill or something like that, or pay their rent or in exchange for them, like fucking on the regular. But you know, that's kind of a, it, it's, it's really like the lines get very blurred. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that is that is a huge part of it, just that it's criminalized. Mm-hmm. So it may make communication a little more complex or difficult. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm more than willing to pay for services, but I don't like to pay for services that are just kind of forced on me or like right. I don't necessarily know. Right, <laughs> yeah. Know. Like you should know exactly what you're getting into. <laughs> yeah. I don't well, know. Yeah, that's an interesting story. Interesting story. A very interesting story. Um, so anyway, then they say that brings me to experience number two, much more recent. I've been single for way too long. And honestly, I don't recall the last time I had a date. My birthday is coming up and I wanted to treat myself. I started looking on Backpage, Newsflash, even though the adult job section is closed, doesn't mean the sex workers are gone from the site. <laughs> and yeah, that's true. A while back, uh, just for our listeners who aren't familiar, a couple years ago, I think, or maybe maybe more recently, maybe like a year ago, pretty recently, Backpage, which was a popular site where escorts and sex workers would advertise, was shut down or their part of their site was shut down or something like that. And they sort of had this crackdown on sex workers advertising there, but it doesn't mean they went away. It's just like now they talk in code or whatever. The same thing with Craigslist, right? They got rid of the um, like erotic services section or something, but there's still personals and people just, you know, they just word it differently, but it's still the same thing. And if you know it's up, you can find a sex worker there. Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, uh, 
they say, okay, so I started looking on Backpat page and found a woman in my area offering services. Per instructions in the ad, I sent a text letting her know that I was interested in hiring her. Eventually, she told me her rate. And since I was getting, it was getting a little bit late, she said she would talk to me the next day. When I woke up, I tried to resume the conversation, but got no response. Several hours later, I sent a message asking if she was available at a certain time the following day. After several hours, there was still no reply. So I sent a final message stating that I would take her lack of response as not available. I guess I'm not getting lucky on my birthday. My self-esteem has been low anyways because of the length of time I've been single, about 12 years, and how rarely I have a date, maybe one a year. I'm now wondering if I've hit rock bottom by essentially being rejected by someone I was willing to pay to spend time with me. Well, I want to say it. Don't don't feel rejected and you haven't hit rock bottom. That's that yeah. that is that is shitty, but there are there are other sex workers you can probably find. I would I would keep keep at it. Don't give up just because the first one didn't work out. Exactly. I there's lots of other fish in the sea and um I I want to say like it is very common. So I've been reading this book um Getting Screwed, Sex Workers and the Law by Alison Bass that I mentioned a little earlier. And like one of the first things that she does extensive interviews with sex workers and stuff. One of the first things that she's, that it says is that sex workers flake all the time and it, it could be for totally reasons that have nothing to do with you. It's all about them. They don't feel good that day or they feel just nervous or it's their first day on the job and they don't, they're not sure if they really want to do it or they're freaked out about getting arrested or raided or they had a bad experience the day before and they just can't work that day or whatever, you know, they need to get their, their cavity filled or something. They need to get their teeth cleaned. You know, it could be any reason. It doesn't necessarily mean it's because she's rejecting you or because there was something wrong with you. It might have everything to do with her and nothing to do with you so I would say I would say yeah the same thing like basically um don't you don't have to take it personally just move on try try the next one you know it's you know don't get your heart set on one person who's a sex worker you you might need to try a few before you find the right fit no pun intended (laughs) right right keep at it keep at it You'll, yeah, you'll, you'll find someone else. And, uh, and you know, keep it trying to date, too. You know, don't give up on that. Exactly. It takes a long time, but yeah, don't give up. Don't give up. There's, don't give up on Sex and Science Hour, because there's more coming up on the after You've show. You've just heard Sex and Science Hour. Game over. Play again next week. Chocolate with Pratt a minute, and I 
don't notice too much of a difference yet. I mean, I feel happy, but I think it's maybe just because I'm doing a podcast with a great buddy and, um, you know, you're so cool, MK, and it's fun to do this podcast with you. I'm having an awesome time. <laughs> yeah, and Kratom, it's such a kind of subtle effect anyway. It's mm-hmm. it basically, most of the times, it's just a slight mood elevator and kind of chills you out. And not even at the level of a lot of other stuff out there. So, yeah, it's very nice and mellow. But also, podcasts always get me excited. So Yeah. (laughs) And hot chocolate. Hey, that's good, too. Oh, yeah. I'm a big fan of hot chocolate. So, um, our after show is the time where we normally do, uh, we talk about what people bought on the Sex and Science Hour affiliate link at stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. And so... I said to MK, you know, you don't have to do the after show. We could just do the regular show. And she's like, no, I want to do the after show. I want to see what people got. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I love it. I I always listen to the after show. I love hearing speculations. And and every now and then stuff I buy shows up on there. Because I always used to like it. I'm like, ooh, I bought that. My favorite is I bought this trash picker upper because I'm a real estate photographer (laughs) and I'm too short to turn off fans sometimes because you need to turn off fans for photos and so I got this little trash grabber so that I can reach the fan and they were speculating that it was an ass grabber (laughs) you like that one I like that one which technically I mean it can be an ass grabber it could be anything you want it to be. But yes, your use is way, way more legit, I would say. I mean, legit, that's debatable. Yeah, it's on the eye of the <laughs> beholder. <laughs> so, um, and yeah, actually, I was at your apartment and I saw some, I saw some items that I thought I recognized. Did you buy that, the coffee press, the French press through the sex and, stuff.sexandsciencehour.com? I did, yes. Oh, yeah, that, she got a really nice French press. Do you remember what kind it was? Ritual was mm. the name of it. And oh, that's right, because it has that. the Illuminati symbol it on it and it's called a ritual <laughs> coffee is my morning ritual and uh yeah i broke my other french press f- after having it for wow like five years or something oh so I've, i got another one and it's super solid yeah it sounds like you got a lot of mileage out of the first one. Oh yeah I had a French press too that I think I, I also broke. I dropped it and the handle kind of cracked and fell off and I tried to like glue it back on, but it was just like never the same. Yeah. So I just broke down and bought another one. <laughs> yep. So anyway, um, what did people get through stuff.sexandsciencehour.com this week? In the last seven days, we got, hmm, let's see. Well, actually, um, sorry, hold up a second. I need to see if the last seven days is even the right time frame. Okay, yeah, uh, we'll call it the right time frame. So um, (laughs) starting in the uh, beauty department, we had some Toms of Maine natural fluoride-free anti-plaque whitening toothpaste, and they got the flavor that is my favorite flavor from Toms of Maine, which is fennel. And now fennel has kind of a licorice taste. You can, fennel's like an herb, you know, you get the seeds and sausages and stuff, and you can also get roasted fennel. That's pretty good. It's kind of like a bulb with like little leaves um mk probably not a big fan right you don't like licorice tasting stuff not my favorite i've accidentally gotten this toothpaste before because you I'm have curious. oh you're <laughs> making a face you don't like it. i did i'm not a huge fan of licorice so i i didn't i didn't care for the taste of it but i've used toms of maine and other types of all natural toothpaste and stuff and i i think they're great yeah so as as a resident Dara, can I label you a hippie, a resident hippie? Sure. <laughs> a I've, resident I've, hippie expert? It's not the worst thing I've been called. <laughs> I know, me neither. <laughs> you could you could sort of call me a hippie, but I mean, you, you're definitely like in the hippie stuff. And um, 
So Tom's Main got bought out by Clorox a little while ago. And some people Colgate. say, what's that? Colgate? I thought it was Clorox. Was it Clorox? Yeah, like oh. the company that makes the bleach. And oh. some people say that they've sold out recently because they got way wider distribution, oh, bigger manufacturing. This was maybe like 10 years ago that they got sold out. Yeah. Or they got bought out. Sorry, so mm-hmm. that was a Freudian slip. <laughs> but they, uh, they got bought out. But now it's much easier to find Tom's Main stuff. Like you can find their toothpaste and deodorant anywhere you go. Mm-hmm. Um, and they didn't, credit to them, they didn't stop making the fluoride-free toothpaste which I like fluoride-free toothpaste because I'm a little bit of a tinfoil hatter about fluoride. I'm like a little paranoid about it. I filter it out of my water. Yeah, I was the same way. I was super paranoid about fluoride. And I, yeah, I had the fluoride filters and I used a no fluoride toothpaste. I've kind of, I guess, capitulated on that a little bit. I mean, I use just regular toothpaste now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it doesn't seem to have turned you into a sheep, so I think we're good. Yeah, yeah. And I do try to use... A shirson. Sorry. A shirson. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, and I do try to use other types of all-natural, more chemical-free products. Yeah. I do. Yeah, I still do a lot of that anyway. Cool. So you don't think Toms of Maine has sold out? No, I mean, I don't know that their formula has changed much. No, I I don't think it was changed at all. Yeah, there's there's always going to be some tweaking every couple years. But no, I'm, I'm pretty sure the formula stayed the same. And I think that's really what matters. I mean, there are a bunch of even small you know, natural companies who've been bought out by larger ones. And what's that, what that's done is kind of increase access to these things. Right. Yeah, definitely. You don't want to have it be hard to find or really expensive. So yeah, cool. Okay. Right on. Um, so this person actually must love the taste of fennel or licorice because they got a four pack of this toothpaste. So they're going to be in it for a while. And that was a $27.66 price point with uh, free prime shipping. Oh yeah. In the books department, Oh, this is cool. Um, we got a book called, a sexy book called Enough to Make You Blush, Exploring Erotic Humiliation by Princess Callie. Ooh. <laughs> oh, let me oh, read the this description. Is interesting. Yeah, this is interesting. Erotic humiliation goes far beyond the lick my boots stereotype. Princess Kali, a former, uh, famous former dominatrix and world-renowned humiliatrix, which is a dom who humiliates, um, <laughs> throws open the dungeon doors to explore the complex desires that fuel this kind of psychological play for both dominants and submissives. Using both personal experience and ex- extensive interviews, she shares advice and detailed ideas for a broad range of embarrassing, humiliating, and degrading ways to exploit consensual experience enjoy, sorry, explore and enjoy, exploy, (laughs) to enjoy consensual kinky fun. Also covered are important concepts such as communication, negotiation, consent, triggers, aftercare, and so much more. Wow, that sounds pretty comprehensive. It sure does. That's exactly what I was thinking. That's awesome. Yeah, so you get the how-to and then you get the kind of also... Uh, you know, all these other factors that go along with it. It's like, uh-huh. yeah, so here's some cool stuff, but also here's uh, consent, always such a huge factor. So yeah. that's that's very interesting. I mean, have I've, you ever humiliated someone in a sexual way? Have you ever humiliated? I know you've humiliated people on the internet. You do that regularly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, no, I haven't. I've kind of been, I guess, vanilla. I, I'm very interested in this. I It's something I do kind of like to read about and study recreationally. Um, so I'm interested in learning more and kind of explore, exploring more mm-hmm. in that realm. Uh, but no, I've never had any partners who were really into that. Um, but yeah, I have humiliated people. 
just <laughs> on the internet and and elsewhere. Um, but yeah, I mean, I haven't. Yeah, I haven't done it. Not in a sexual way, unless they were getting off on it secretly, and that would just—I mean—then they would just have even more to be embarrassed about. I think so too. They love to be cocked by MK. They keep coming back for more. (laughs) That's right. They do keep coming back for more. (laughs) Oh, I love it. All right. Well, not quite as exciting, but definitely an important object to have. We got the Mophie 300, uh, 3000 milliamp hour juice pack for Motorola Moto Z in black. And that's um, $77. It looks like it's just basically a battery pack. Like, and now, you know, so this is an extra battery for a, a type of phone. You know, most, Brian would have a lot to say about this, but most phones now, you can't remove the battery. It's like totally built in. You can't switch it out. So Right. I think I have a phone like that. Right. I do too. And so the problem with that is what if you want to go completely off the grid and not have your cell phone track you, you can't remove the battery anymore. So what do you do? I don't know. You got to put it in a Faraday cage or something. I was just about to say, I guess you'd have to put it in a Faraday cage or uh, you know, turn so it off smart. and leave it in another location yeah. entirely. Yeah. Leave it at home. Yeah. That's the, that's the cheap option. Yeah. Right? You should just, you <laughs> just know, leave, leave it, it at home. <laughs> in the uh, grocery and gourmet food department, we got stashed tea bags in the white chocolate mocha flavor that sounds good never tried that before but uh generally like um like stash teas now this comes with a 20 percent off coupon on your first delivery that's a pretty sweet deal but you have to remember to clip the coupon because not everybody clips the coupon that's the biggest Mm -hmm. that's the thing they rely on they get you with the promise of a coupon but then if you don't clip it well not amazon's fault that you didn't clip the coupon you lazy son of a bitch Uh, (laughs) (laughs) just kidding but um um, but no, that's that's how they get you. They they sell you with the coupon, and then most people don't clip it. But anyway, um, this is a tea that's made out of not only black tea, but it also has cinnamon, cocoa shells, so it's like chocolate tea, and natural tiramisu flavor, coffee flavor, chocolate flavor, and white chocolate flavor. So oh lots goodness. going on in there. That sounds like a tea I would totally drink. Yeah. I love all of those things. Yeah, you make mocha sometimes, right? You put chocolate in your coffee. Yeah, that's kind of, I mean, that's kind of why I drink coffee more than tea a lot of times, but (laughs) a a tea that has all those things in it, that sounds amazing. Yeah, right on. Um, In the health and personal care department, we actually got a uh, cold compress two-pack. So these are like little gel packs that you can put in the freezer, and then you can strap them on anytime you have an injury like shoulder, ankle, knee, or anything like that, that uh, you can reuse over and over again. That's definitely a good thing to have, especially these these kind, because they don't freeze solid like a block of ice. They freeze like kind of soft so that they can conform to the body part, like if you have to wrap it around your knee that's always a good thing to have and they're um they're quite you know affordable it doesn't say the price point here let me look at the uh the thing oh yeah there you go uh, so so they paid 14.95 for a two pack of those so that's that's definitely worth it um, also good to have is those ones that you can break, um, where they have, they actually have crisp, this is a cool chemistry thing. So they have these bags and inside is crystals of sodium something. I can't remember what the chemical is, but it's some kind of crystal where, um, that it has like a bag of water within the, the outside bag and you can break the, the inner bag of water. And once the water hits the crystals, it dissolves and it creates an endothermic reaction where the dissolving of the crystals in the water, um, uh, creates coldness or it sucks in heat or something like that. It's endothermic. 
so as it dissolves, it cools down the water and it creates an instant ice pack. That's how those things work. Wow, that's awesome. I've used ice packs similar to what these people bought and uh, super great. I, you know, loved them. <laughs> right on. Do you use it with your masturbator wand attachment? Because we got one of those. <laughs> no comments on that. Well, I'm more into kind of hot stuff than cold stuff. I was going to say, yeah, if you're playing with like temperature in a sexual way, I feel like hot is pretty much always better than cold or warm anyway. <laughs> yeah, but this is amazing. So let's see, Wand Essentials Vibra Cup Masturbator Wand Attack. Ooh, oh, wow, that looks like a jellyfish or it something. It does look like a jellyfish. Or no, like a, like a uh, man of war. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> That is cool. Looks like it's going to sting you uh, if you're not careful. But we actually, um, this it was my fault because I uh, I put the filter on so that it got an item that we actually talked about last time, I think. so. But we can talk about it again. Why not, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is a thing, as um, MKC is in the picture right now, that you can put, you can stick it on top of the Hitachi Magic Wand or similar toys. And it's basically um, a piece of jelly that just goes over the top of the wand and it will vibrate as the wand vibrates and this is only like $13 it's $12.58 price point so cheap thrill and um, you just stick it over the top of your wand and have at it it's called the wand essentials vibra cup masturbator wand attachment that's amazing yeah I love how many attachments there are for these things now it's Tons so you can get so creative with uh-huh. the way you want to be stimulated or stimulate your partner and I think that's so awesome yay science yay it's almost like Legos, like you can build your own sex toy. It's pretty cool. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and actually, also, that's good because the, a lot of women find the Hitachi Magic Wand too intense. Like even on the lowest setting, they find it like too intense. So to be able to put something over top of it is probably a good idea. Yeah. Very cool. Okay, so what else do we got? We have the um, we have a, a lantern, the Maxim Lighting 1001 Westlake outdoor pole mount uh, lantern with a white finish, eight by nineteen inches, thirty nine eighty price point. So this is like you know a lamp that you would see on the outside of a house or like mounted on a pole or something in someone's driveway to to light it up. Pretty yeah, cool. That's a very classy looking lamp, and it was only about just under forty bucks. Forty bucks. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Pretty cool. Yeah. Definitely. I like the uh, design of it. In the uh, industrial and scientific department, we got. A we got an uh, let's see. This is a switch that could be part of like a hack device, like a like an Arduino thing. It's it's basically a big green button that you can push a switch, and it's LED illuminated. So what that switch is going to control, I have no idea. It's probably goes with something else that may be on the list as well. But it's like this is like the green button. Like you've seen the you've seen that meme with the red button, right? Where it's like <laughs> pick one, you know, you push the red button or pick one of these. Well, this is the green button, <laughs> not the red button. <laughs> so that's cool. The Alpine Tech green uh, latching maintain push button switch. Uh, we also got a square, uh, a square chip reader. So Square is one of those companies that lets you read credit cards on a device. And it's showing here um, this, like, you know, this thing next to a phone. So basically, like if you're selling something at a festival or something like that, you can accept credit card payments with this app and this device. And what it is, is 
Square had a thing where you could plug, you could basically plug it into a phone in the headphone jack and you could swipe a credit card and it would read the credit card and you could use that for like, you know, mobile sales. But this one will read uh, chip cards, which now chip cards are all the rage because recently some kind of law went into effect that affected all the merchants where basically if there's a, in the US, if there's a fraudulent credit card transaction, um, and it was like a, a magnetic swipe card, the merchant is responsible for paying the fraudulent charge, not the credit card company anymore. So they passed that cost on. The credit card companies, MK shaking her head, evil credit card companies, oh, but they, they'll do whatever they can get away with. So messed up. Yeah. The merchants already are taking such a huge risk. I, I worked yeah. in financial services for a while, and we didn't even take credit cards for a very long time because the merchant already takes on so much risk. Yeah, and pays huge fees to take a credit card. I mean, it's like especially with Square, a lot of merchants pay 3%, something like that, on, on top of every credit card transaction, and it's just a cost of doing business. But with Square and Stripe and other like payment processors that service like smaller businesses, it can be even higher, like 5%. Yeah, Square's actually on the more reasonable side. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, um, and this is this is such a cool chip reader. Yeah, it's contactless. Mm-hmm. So, and this would probably, I mean, yeah, some phones are now being made without headphone jacks. So oh, this that's is kind right. of adapting to that, I guess, too. But uh, but yeah, and it's also reading the chip readers, which supposedly the chip cards are more secure. I'm very doubtful of that. Right? How is it very different? I mean, I guess you could say like. They have those little devices that sometimes you'll see it at a gas station that can swipe. Like, for example, when you swipe the magnetic strip on a credit card, um, hackers can essentially install these devices that will read that magnetic strip and get your credit and steal your credit card information. Skimmers, is that what Skimmers, they're called? Skimmers, yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually you'll find those at gas stations and stuff like that. But um, with a PIN, I, I guess it's supposed to be more secure against that. Yeah, so the yeah, the pin number is supposed to make it more secure and then this or the chip, the chip is also I guess supposed to add another layer of security because you need a specialized reader for it and yeah. maybe I guess the theory is they're supposed to be harder to hack into. Mm-hmm. But I mean you still have the point of failure at the company itself because if mm-hmm. they store a database of all their customers' credit cards, that's still a huge target that's very vulnerable. And it doesn't matter what physical device is used to read the card. It matters how good the company's security is. So That's again. exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, it matters Yeah, how secure is the data that they're holding. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, I mean, this device does look pretty cool. It's, it's literally just a white square that you could stick a credit card into and take someone's payment. <laughs> so really good for, for small businesses. But I get a massage sometimes from this, uh, from this lady that is near where I live, and she has a reader like this, and it's really cool. It just like works with an app. You just kind of stick it in, and it pops up on her iPad. So pretty cool. <laughs> yep, yep. All right, so the, and the price point on that Square thing was uh, thirty three fifty nine, so not too bad. It's called the Square again, the Square Contactless Chip Reader. Um, okay, and what else do we got here? We got a seven day outdoor digital timer and a fluorescent dimmer. Let's look at both of those. Oh my, that so this, sound exciting. <laughs> I think these are going along with the green button because the green oh. button had to do with LED lights and mm-hmm. oh is someone setting up a cool like outdoor light like lighting LED system lighting system totally possible Ooh. oh i like how you connected those dots mk very yeah. good thinking yeah <laughs> 
Yeah, so this this item is the Intermatic uh, 15 amp seven day outdoor digital timer, and it has an auto. Uh, it controls LED and CFL lights, and it's meant to be like for an outdoor lighting setup. So yeah, maybe that green button switch connects to this. This was only nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, someone's setting up like a luau outside or something. Yeah. <laughs> That's very cool. I, at the Kava bar that we went to the other night, they had um, great outdoor lighting. They had like a like a rainbow LED light that kept changing colors. It was fluctuating through all the different colors, yeah. and then they had like strings of kind of Christmas light type things. Um, it's a really cool environment. Oh yeah. Um, and then we have a dimmer switch. This is not super exciting, but it's it's basically it's called Lutron Electronics Skylark fluorescent preset preset dimmer, and this was seventy dollars. It literally looks like just a re- like a just a regular dimmer switch that you would see on a wall where you can slide a bar up and down and it dims a light. Um, I don't know exactly what this is for. It doesn't appear to be outdoor. It appears to be indoor. But hey, that's cool. Thanks for shopping through stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. <laughs> Those are great. I, it, it's always so luxurious going into a house with dimmers. Yeah. Because I do photography for a lot of houses, and it's always it's so nice to be able to adjust the light. Yeah, definitely. I, I I really like, especially at night, being able to turn the lights down to the dimmest setting. I actually got a bunch of Himalayan salt lamps in my house that <laughs> that provide a really nice atmosphere. Yeah. And a few of them have dimmer switches and some of them just have on and off. But anyway, even if they're on pretty bright, like it's just a very nice like orange glow. I love that. Yeah. Um, I'm really sensitive. Are you sensitive to bright lights, like especially at night? I'm very sensitive to it. Yes, definitely. I sleep best in almost complete darkness. And and when I'm trying to wind down, too, I have to have dimmer lights, uh, which is kind of hard where I'm at now. We have like this overhead light right now. I wish I had a dimmer. I wish I had the dimmer switch. But but yeah, and also, I mean, it's also been shown you want to avoid even blue lights from your phone and things like that when you're trying to kind of wind down. So anything where you can kind of reduce the lighting and um, yeah. chill, Sleep, chill <laughs> drink out. some kratom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I use this app called F called flux on my, uh, windows computer. It's at F search for Google search F dot L U X and you'll find it. It basically changes your computer screen to like more of the red spectrum instead of blue at night. Oh, I need that. Oh yeah. You should totally yeah. get that. Check that out. There's also an app for Android phones called twilight, which does the same thing and it turns your screen more red at night. Ooh. Okay. Great. Great. Yep. Sex and science hour. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We have a couple more items and then we're going to wrap up, but, uh, so we got so we have a nerd in the audience, um, <laughs> which I mean in the nicest possible way. <laughs> Somebody got two hundred clear protector sleeves for Magic the Gathering cards. Now oh, these yeah. are like plastic cards or plastic sleeves that you would slip your Magic the Gathering cards or like a baseball card or something into. Pokemon cards. Oh, Pokemon cards. Yep, <laughs> yeah. any kind of card you could slip I had it in a lot there. Of Pokemon cards. So you do. Scary. Oh my gosh, we should play I, with no, them. No, I had them. Oh, you I have, have you them had anymore. Them. <laughs> you were a big Pokemon fan? I was super into Pokemon, yeah. How close did you come to catching them all? Oh, I, I think I was very far away from catching them all. <laughs> <laughs> did you play Pokemon Go when it came out, just like this year? Um, No, not really. I didn't get into it, uh, but my nephew was super into it. Oh, yeah. He was all about the Pokemon Go, go, just going all around town. And so, yeah, sometimes (laughs) I'd watch him play, you know, he'd be out and about and stuff, and he would be hunting 
Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's cool. I kind of always wanted to try it. I just never got around to it. And then it kind of waned in popularity a little bit. I guess there's still a lot of people playing it. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure there are. Yeah. We, I don't know if you heard the show a couple weeks ago, but we got this. Um, it was like a button that you can put on your, like you can pin it to your shirt that was like, it, it controls or like interfaces with the Pokemon Go games. Yes, I do yeah. remember that. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. That looked really fun. We never heard from the person who got it, but I hope they're I hope they're having fun. That looked hope like they're a, catching them all. Yeah, I hope they're catching them all. <laughs> that looked like a really fun like enhancement to the game. Mm-hmm. Um, also in the games department, we got a board game called Car- Carcassonne, and let's see if we can find a description for this game. No, it just has like a picture of a castle on the front. And oh, probably missing is totally obvious. Let's see the reviews. Uh, no, it doesn't really say what it's about. Um, there has been a high ratings. <laughs> yeah, it's got high ratings. There has been a board game renaissance here lately, and I've missed out on it. So I thought hosting family for Christmas would be a good excuse to check out this new board game. After a trip to Barnes & Noble derailed by sticker shock and a certain misunderstanding between me and my wife over what I meant by let's buy a board game, there were two conditions. One, we needed the game that five... I love the reviews. MK is tracking. This is like a... Oh, this is wonderful. Yeah, this is a good... We stumbled on gold. like a novel. Gold. Like, this is an experience reading this review. <laughs> oh, yeah. I had to click the read more button. So after a trip to Barnes and Noble derailed by sticker shock and a certain misunderstanding between me and my wife over what I meant by let's buy a board game, there were two conditions. One, we needed a game that five players could play. So Settlers of Catan was out. <laughs> Have you ever played that? That's, that's I've a heard of it, nerdy but I game. Played it. <laughs> Two, we needed a game five board game beginners could figure out on the fly. So the Game of Thrones board game was out. One reviewer suggested each player watch the instructional video, and one player read the instruction manual cover cover. Whoa, sorry. And one player read the instruction manual cover to cover twice. Fuck that. I added that, but (laughs) Carcassonne met both conditions and was priced to sell. So we went for it. It turned out to be a great choice for all the medieval trappings. It is as my father and for all the, (laughs) for all the medieval trappings, it is as my father-in-law pointed out, which he spelled father and law for some reason, (laughs) ultimately a real estate game. It's a straightforward setup. Each player places tiles with some combination of three features, road, city, and abbey, and places meeples to control features. That's it. Tiles and meeples. No paper and pen necessary, and scores are kept by meeple on an accompanying scoreboard. You little meeple. Meeples. Power to the meeples. Yeah, power to the sheeple meeple. (laughs) I've played three games so far with five players and one with two players. Three games so far, two with five players and one with two players. The first game we tried to play on the fly, and, well, we screwed a bunch of the rules up, but it was fun nonetheless. Yeah, it's good when you can do that. Mm-hmm. I read the short instruction manual between games, and by the second game, we had everything figured out. Five-player games are hectic. You only get to put down so many tiles, and your plans will constantly be affected by moves of other players. This was the most fun part, as every other turn devolved into half-shouted attempts at cutting backroom deals we had been drinking. <laughs> <laughs> This is in contrast to the two-player games I played with my wife, where we mostly played our own way, occasionally trying to place a tile to thwart the other other's plans, which seems tough to do. 
The replayability, I think, will be high. My wife is up for more Carcassonne game nights, and we already have a request to bring the game for Christmas. Three or four people is probably the ideal number to play, though. There's a lot of luck involved, that is, the tiles you draw, but there are enough different ways to play tiles to keep it interesting for a while, especially with more players. The biggest flaw, I think, is that there's no penalty for failure to terminate roads and surround abbeys, only for failure to wall off cities. Board Game Geek lists the playing time as 30 to 45 minutes, but each of our games went well beyond that. We should really introduce a chess timer. (laughs) The basic set comes with river tiles and an abbot meeple that we haven't played with yet, two separate mini expansions. Update! We played another five-player game with the river expansion tiles. The additional rules are admirably straightforward, and the reason we started with that instead of the Abbot, it made a big difference. It really spread the game out. For a five-player game, it meant that a lot less of the wheeling and dealing and backstabbing I talked about above. It was difficult, though, to do our own thing with so few turns and tiles per player. I think I prefer it without the river tiles, but that may be a bug or a feature, depending on your perspective. Wow, and he even had pictures in his review. That's comprehensive. Wow, Look at that. That's super thorough. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of like a medieval monopoly with Yeah. That's I don't a know. Great way it to said something it. about like maybe alliances or deals like maybe like risk or something, but like a way shorter version. Uh-huh. Obviously. I'm not sure if I'm describing that right. I've never played No, that sounds like totally uh, from what I can gather, it sounds about right. Cool. Very cool. So again, the name of that game is what the hell? Carcassonne. <laughs> cool. Enjoy it. Twenty one ninety nine price point. And the last thing in the games department: Forza Motorsport Four for Xbox three sixty by Microsoft. It's a, a racing game for uh, for Xbox three sixty. Twenty eight thirty eight price point. So stop that sexandsciencehour.com. MP, thank you so much for being on the show. This is really fun to do a show with the sassy bun from Iconosass. Check her out, soundcloud.com slash Iconosass. Yes, thank you. It was wonderful being on. We'll do it again. All right, sexandsciencehour.com for more of us. And uh, have a great week, everybody.